that I'm also going to be bringing to us the scripture reading today. So it is um, two separate passages, and the first one is from Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals of the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which were the seven spirits of God sent out into all of the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb. Each one of them had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. The second reading is from Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 to 10. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool and the thirsty ground bubbling with springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on the way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Oh, it's so great to see you all here this morning. How are we doing? Good? We good? That's great. Well, welcome to uh, Windsor District Baptist Church. Can you take a bit of that echo out? Thanks. Um, 
Yeah, my name's Jonathan. In case we haven't had a chance to meet, I'd love to meet you uh, after the service today over some uh, sausages. Uh, a good Aussie barbecue will not be turned away by uh, a few drops of rain. Uh, but uh, we're very excited to have you here with us this morning as we continue our series, uh, What is the Church? We're trying to understand who God has made us to be. Thanks. This is my son, Josh. Everybody say, hi, Josh. There's Josh. Thanks. He's very kindly bringing me a cup of water. Thank you, son. <laughs> uh, we're in this series called What is the Church? And in this series, we are uh, trying to understand uh, exactly who we are as the people of God. Now, the church is, uh, is an institution. It's an organization considered by some. Uh, but for us... Uh, it's a part of our identity. It's part of who we are, who God made us to be. So our aims in this series is to really re reorient our focus. When we walk through these doors, when we come in to WDBC, what are we focusing on? Uh, we also want to remember our purpose. We want to understand why we gather. We want to renew our love for one another. And ultimately, we want to reflect God to one another uh, through the way his spirit has gifted us. And uh, as we've been looking at this series, there's 12 messages and four on each person of the Trinity. We want to understand how the church relates to every, every person in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we looked at how we relate to the Father as the Lord's people, God's household, God's building, God's field, as Pastor Stephen talked about last week. Now, this week, we move to the Son, and we're going to be seeing that we are the redeemed of the Lord. And our two texts this morning are Isaiah 35 and Revelation chapter 5, uh, it should say verses 1 to 12. Uh, but this is where we've been. If, if something in this is said, oh, that's a bit interesting, you can go back, you can have a look, uh, go back online and, and watch, um, listen to what we've been talking about before. But this morning, uh, we're looking at the church as the redeemed of the Lord. Uh, we were talking this week uh, about what it means to be the redeemed. And uh, one, of our, one of our elders, uh, Warren Johnson in Scripture, said, you know, when we think about redeemed, we often think about somebody walking through a pawn shop and sort of browsing through, through you know, a secondhand or a pawn shop, putting out on the shelf and saying, you know what, I'd, I'd like one of those. I will, uh, I, I will redeem that. And, and I, I think I'd like one of those too. And, and sometimes when we talked about being redeemed, we can think that God is simply kind of going through his creation saying, you know, I'll take, uh, I'll take one of those and I'll take that person and I'll take that one and that one and that one. And you sit there wondering, okay, uh, is, that, <laughs> is this just some big transaction? Uh, as, as we've been seeing, there is a whole lot more to being the church. Last week, uh, Pastor Stephen talked about how we are a, a harvest growing in God's field. Uh, so I want to say welcome to you this morning. Welcome to everyone who has assembled under the banner of Jesus. You are living stones that God is built building into a spiritual house. You're built upon the cornerstone of Christ, and you are the fruit of God's growing harvest. I don't know how you felt coming in today, but that's what you are according to the Bible. According to what God says, you are those who've assembled under the banner of Jesus. You are living stones built upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. You are the fruit of God's growing harvest. And I wanna say welcome 
to you, the redeemed of the Lord. That's who you are today. So let's pray as we seek God's blessing. Father, would you encourage us from the scriptures today? May we find strength and hope in knowing what you have done for us in Christ. We pray that your spirit would speak to us through the word and that we would be comforted and encouraged by it. In Jesus' name, amen. So the big question today is, whose are you? Whose are you? Uh, maybe you came from a family where your personality, you know, this, this, your family is a big family or you're known as this type of family, that type of family, and, and they say, oh yeah, I know you, you're one of those. Um, but we don't often think of whose we are in terms of redemption. One of the things that we really fight for in the West is our autonomy. And in fact, as an individual, we so strive and push for our autonomy that we don't like to think about, uh, about us necessarily in relation to others. A lot of people uh, push against this idea of, of being belonging to somebody else. Kids, I wonder how many of you can't wait to be an adult. If you're a young person in here under the age of 16, raise your hand if you just can't wait to be an adult. Any kids in here want to be an adult? Come on, be honest. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. I, I won't say which of my children, but, but I had a child a few, uh, several years ago. He said, you know, I can't wait to be a grown-up so that I can tell everyone in the world what to do. <laughs> Uh, I love it. This this idea that we want to set in front of our children these goals so that they can achieve and they can raise up and we want to we want to push them in the back and 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 give them a leg up and and we want them to to succeed and go on and do great things and it's almost we're saying go be all that you can be if I can quote an army poster. So when you come to the church, this idea that actually the thing that defines who you are is, is who you belong to, it's a, little bit, it's a little bit against the grain of our culture. So the main thing you need to understand today is that the church belongs to Christ. To be a part of the church is to belong to Christ. That's what the cross is all about. Being a part of a church is great. There's a human-to-human covenant. You know, if you're a member here at WDBC or you've been coming to this church, you might say, oh, you know, this is my church. This is, this is where I worship. These are the people that I talk with. This is the, you know, this is how we do it here in this place. And oftentimes we can think of church as simply the structures around which we worship. And when we don't really like that, we say, ah, I'm going to go to a different one. I'm going to go to a different place. Uh, find, find something that I like. But God says that to be a part of the church is to belong to Christ. And so this morning, by way of overview, we want to just look at three things. First, we want to understand how redemption works. What do we mean when we say redeemed? Secondly, we want to know how we relate to Jesus. And finally, How do we live as redeemed people? So how does redemption work? When we say redemption, what does that mean? Secondly, how do we relate to Jesus? What's our connection to him? Is he just this, you know, well, he's our God. You know, the Buddhists have have their deity and, and, you know, the the Muslims have their deity. Is this just sort of the Christian God? How do we relate to him? And then thirdly, how do we live now as redeemed? If we are redeemed, what does it look like to live as those redeemed? Here's a simple definition for you. Uh, Redemption implies deliverance and restitution 
but also a cost that must be paid. So to be redeemed means you've been taken out of a situation, you've had, you've had something taken off your back, off your shoulders, you've been brought into something, you've been delivered, right? Many of you, there's many people this morning stuck on the other side of the bridge, you know, you, you, you hopefully don't get in a situation where you have to be delivered uh, out of that. Um, but deliverance, you're brought into something. Restitution means there's, there's a paying back something that was owed. And that's where the cost comes in. That's from the Dictionary of uh, Biblical Imagery. Um, and I might, uh, I, I'm just going to go jump ahead real quick here to uh, Revelation 5. You have this picture in Revelation chapter 5 of God on his throne. And God's on his throne. And in chapter 4, all the angels are worshiping him. This is, John gets a glimpse into heaven. And God has in his hand this scroll, which represents his, his plan, his, his purposes, his will. And so God has this scroll in his hand, and everyone's looking at God, and they're saying, who's going to bring God's plan to pass? We want to know what he's doing. We want to understand God's purposes in the world. What's going to happen? Who's going to bring it to pass? And there's nobody who can actually go and open it. Could you imagine getting an envelope or getting a letter in the post? I don't know if we get those much more these days, but you get something in the mail and it's marked really, really, really important, but you can't open it. <laughs> How frustrating would that be? But John's not, not just frustrated here, he's sad. Verse 4, he says he wept and he wept and he wept because there was nobody who could actually bring this to pass. Well, as the drama unfolds, Suddenly there appears this lamb looking as if it had been slain or killed. And this lamb that was dead goes up and takes the scroll. Takes the scroll from the hand of God on the throne. And the lamb is the one who is worthy to open the scroll. And when he opens the scroll, this song comes forth. And this is the song that they sing at the end of verse 9. They say, worthy are you to receive because you have redeemed, you have bought for yourself people from every tribe and nation. You have, sorry, excuse me, verse 9. They sang a new song. I couldn't see from the back. Uh, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God people from every tribe and language and people and nation. Where the NIV has purchased, the word there is redeemed. And in verse 10, he goes on to say, and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. That's the whole story of the Bible right there in two verses. God has a plan to give people give people a share, a reign on, their, on the earth to make them priests where they serve him. But no one is worthy except the lamb who was slain to bring this to pass. So Jesus is the one who, who achieves redemption. But we're going to look briefly at how redemption works. Here's how redemption works. To, to redeem somebody means to rescue them from a hardship. Now, a hardship might mean like 
you've, you've gotten into debt, you know, you, you, there's a debt you can't pay back. It might mean that uh, back in Bible times, you know, if, if a woman was married but then her husband died and she was, she was in poverty and she didn't really have a way to make a living, she didn't really have access to, to property, she was in hardship, she could be redeemed. This is what's going on in the story of uh, Ruth. So to redeem means to relieve from a hardship. But what you should need to know is that these burdens could be, could be wide and varied. So for instance, in the Old Testament, we read that if, if somebody was killed, somebody was killed by, you know, by accident, say by an, uh, an ox that, that you know, ran its horns through them or something like that, if somebody was killed, then the next closest male relative was what's called the blood redeemer. That person had the right to avenge the death of their relative. And that was called a redeemer as well. That was, that was a, a redemption. So the hardship could be anything from financial to, to, to legal to just, uh, you know, not having a prospect for, for a future, all the way up to avenging a death itself. All of these things could be redeemed. Offerings as well would be redeemed. So the burdens could vary widely, but not everything was redeemable. There were some things that could not be redeemed, those things devoted to destruction. But a few things you should note about redemption. A redeemer had to fit certain qualifications. In the Old Testament, the blood redeemer was the closest male relative. We said that. The redeemer also had to be willing. You see, a person had a right of redemption. They could go in and redeem, but they didn't have to. That's what's going on, again, at the end of the book of Ruth, where Boaz says, actually, yes, Ruth, I would love to, to marry you, but there's somebody who's closer, and that person has the right. And so they had that big, they had that negotiation in the town gate, and they take off their sandals, and you're reading this, you're like, what's going on? This is a bit strange. That was all about negotiating whether that person was willing or not to redeem. So the redeemer had to be willing. They had to fit certain qualifications. The redeemer had to bear the cost of release from the hardship. The redeemer had to avenge any injustice. And ultimately, the redeemer claimed the right of ownership. So it wasn't simply once something was redeemed, you, you gave it away. They then came under their possession and under their protection. Uh, Mariah, can you jump ahead for me to pass these runs? Thank you. So, how does the church relate to Jesus? And maybe you've been in school and you, you've learned these questions, the five W's and an H, the five W's and an H, who, what, where, when, why, and how. So we're going to look now at how the church relates to, to Jesus, and we need to see answers to these questions if we're going to understand who we are. We need to know who can redeem us, first of all. We need to know what are we redeemed from. We need to know where our redemption is secured, when are we redeemed, why have we been redeemed, and how do we now live as the redeemed? So, who can redeem? The Bible's very clear that only Jesus can redeem, and he has, which is really, really good news. He has done it. Uh, we cannot redeem ourselves. You cannot go to God. You cannot get to heaven on your own back. You cannot, you cannot go to God in your own strength. You cannot actually do enough good things 
to win your own redemption. This is really important because a lot of people think that to get into heaven, you just do a little more good things than you've done bad things. And if the good outweighs the bad, then God will let you into his kingdom. But that's not how, that's not how it works. You must be redeemed. You, you, and you cannot work yourself out of it. God, as our creator, has the prior claim. You think about the closest relative. Before the person who needed redeeming got into this hardship, they were part of a family. And God, as our creator, is that closest, the closest one who has a prior claim on us. And so Jesus, the scriptures refers to sometimes as our brother, he became like us and he bore our sin and bought us. And so now we enter a new covenant relationship under his authority and ownership. So we take all those things we learned about redemption and how it works, and we see that Jesus is the one who does this. This is why Hebrews says he had to be made like us. This is why God didn't simply snap his fingers and say, okay, I'm going to make, you know, all these people saved and these people not saved. God's not up there running a lottery system. Have you ever seen the lottery at... uh, I don't know if they do this anymore, but when I was growing up on TV at night after the local news, or maybe it was just before, they had somebody get up with the ping pong balls, and the ping pong balls are going in the hopper, and, and you know, the and there's somebody there, and they're really pretending to be really excited, just as excited as they were the night before, right? And, and the, the balls come out, and they pull them out, and they say, okay, are you know, number 17, number 12, number 18, 36, 44, and 97. And you look at your card and you say, did I win? Well, a lot of people, that's how they think you get into heaven is you just hope that God picks your number. It's like like a heavenly lottery or a raffle, but that's not how it is at all, actually. Only Jesus can redeem. John would write, he would say, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And all those who receive him, all those who believe on his name have the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent or of a husband's will, but children born of God. Nicodemus would go to Jesus at night and he would say, you know, Jesus, there's something really special about you. I can see that you're different than these other teachers that we have. And Jesus said, look, you're not going to see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. I always imagine Nicodemus thinking, what? I didn't, I came here to sort of, you know, pay you a compliment, Jesus, find out a bit more. You're kind of shutting me down. Jesus said, no, I don't realize how you don't get this. You need to be born again. Well, that's only possible, that's only possible if we have somebody who can step in and redeem us. So Jesus pays the the price, he bears our sin, and from that, we can now enter into a new covenant relationship with God. We're now able to participate in this new relationship. So, Jesus can redeem us. What are we redeemed from? Jesus redeems us from sin, death, and self. Those are just sort of big categories. But the Bible has a lot to say about what our life is like outside of redemption. Before Jesus redeemed us, we're told we were handed down an empty way of life. Isn't that fascinating? You were handed down an empty way of life. That's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. He says, our fathers gave us this emptiness. And if you 
look around, you, you see a lot of people who are hungering and thirsting, don't you? There's things that they want, things that they need. And, and it's as if our parents and those who went before us just gave us an empty cup. And they said, here you go. I see you're thirsty. Here you go. How many people are trying to fill their life right now? We were handed an empty way of life. We were driven by a darkened, that's supposed to say mind. Driven by a darkened mind. We're told that apart from Christ, before Christ came, we were blind. We couldn't see. There, there's, there's a foolishness that is at play among humanity. Just get on TikTok, right? <laughs> Instagram, Twitter. Don't get on TikTok, but get on Instagram, you know, Twitter. You'll see the folly everywhere. Open up the headlines. We were driven by a darkened mind. We were shackled to our corrupt desires. Romans chapter 7, Paul describes how, how even, even now, even, even being brought into Christ, he still is wrestling with this, this flesh. He's wrestling with his own sinful humanity. He says, I do not do the things that I want to do, and the things I want to do, those are the things I don't do. He says, who will free me from this body of death? He looks at his flesh and he says, these desires, they run me. How many of us today are feeling run by our desires, driven by our flesh, shackled as it were? But we keep going. We're redeemed from the curse. We were cursed. We were owing the penalty of our sin. You see, it's not, it's not as if you can go to God and say, look, I'm trying. I'm really trying, God. You know? Some of us have teachers in school who walk around and they, you know, they say, look, you didn't really get that right, but I can see that you're trying, and so I'm going to give you marks for trying. There's no marks for trying in holiness. You're either holy or you're not. You're either sinful or you're not. God isn't, isn't letting people into heaven on the basis of their trying. There must be redemption. And the Bible says where there is no redemption, when you're left with the penalty of sin, that, that's a debt that you and I owe. Somebody has to pay that. But we keep going. We're, we're also told that we were slaves to fear. Do we have any anxiety running around in our community? How many of us are terrified most of the time? The world is absolutely terrified. And the more and more we talk and the more and more we, we communicate with each other, it just ramps up the anxiety. We were slaves to fear, fear of death. We were worshipers of false gods. That means that the very thing that we were created to do, to, to, to convey glory, to, to give glory and to magnify something, that the the devotion of our resources and our time and our intellect, the offering of ourselves, what we were meant to do to God, we're doing to things that are not God. And in that, we are servants of darkness and we're prey to Satan. That means we're, we're ripe from the picking for the picking. And ultimately, we were spiritually dead and our bodies are in process of dying. You were already dead in your spirit, but, but your body's decaying. Almost like zombies walking around. So these are all the things Jesus redeems us from. Where is our redemption secured? It's secured at Calvary. 
because that is where Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. Peter writes that in chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. I just want to encourage you, if you ever wonder, did Jesus, is he really going to forgive me? Memorize that verse. I can't tell you how many times I've got so much comfort by being able to remember those words, that he bore our sins in his body on the tree. What happened to my sins? He bore them. Where did it happen? On Calvary. That's, that's done. That's in the past. It's finished. Paul would write in Galatians that he came at just the right time. He was born of a woman. He is God in flesh. And he bore the curse by becoming a curse for us. It's at Calvary where the love of God and the justice of God meet in a very sweet embrace. So why and when are we redeemed? At Jesus' return, we, we, we see that we're united perfectly, perfectly with God. We're told that we actually right now are awaiting the redemption of our bodies. So we are in process of being redeemed. In some senses, the writer to the Hebrews can say we, we have eternal redemption right now in the sense that the price has been paid. You have that now. But we are awaiting the redemption of our bodies. I really found N.T. Wright's book, Surprised by Hope, helpful in this. N.T. Wright says that most of us think about, the, about eternal life as sort of, well, are you going to go up or are you going to go down? You know, which way are you getting in the elevator? Is it going this way or is it going this way? But in reality, the way the Bible talks about the kingdom of God is the kingdom of God comes down to us. And, and in the coming of the kingdom and the returning of Christ, the redemption that we already have spiritually becomes manifested physically and in the totality of who we are. And so it's more like being overtaken by the kingdom of heaven than it is about getting on an elevator and going up. Next stop, St. Peter. <laughs> But why were we redeemed? We were, we were redeemed to be heirs, priests, and rulers in God's eternal kingdom. Isn't that amazing? That the God who made you and knows you and loves you, that he wanted you in his kingdom, and he was willing to pay the price. Remember that. <clears throat> the redeemer didn't have to redeem you. They had to be willing and God said, I will go to all these lengths. And he sent his son to die for us because he loved us. As the verse says, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the lengths that God went to. He's making us heirs and priests and rulers in his eternal kingdom. Now, finally, how do we live as the redeemed? How do we live as the redeemed? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse, uh, verse 19, Paul tells the Corinthians, he says, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. If we recognize as a church that we belong to Jesus, this again suddenly shifts, shifts everything for us. We live as holy people. We live as people who belong to God and people who are devoted to him. 
So we honor the Lord. What does it mean to live holy? It means when I wake up in the morning, I, my, my, my first thought is not, what do I feel like today? My first thought is, I'm a child of God. I belong to him. How can I reflect his holiness today? I recognize that the things I do with my hands, that the things that my eyes watch, that the things that come out of my mouth, that the places that my feet take me, all of these things are bringing the one that the Lord bought into the world. I'm engaging as one who belongs to the Lord. Sometimes I'll have couples in and we're, we're talking in premarital counseling and and the question, you know, may or may not came up, come up about, you know, how do, we, how do we live right now before we're married? Do we, you know, do we do what the world does and, and, and live together and sleep together and, and do all these things? And, and I'll say, you know, number one, remember, God calls you to keep the marriage bed pure and holy. That's, that's his command. But... But if I'm talking to two believers, what I, will, what I will say to them, I say, look, you need to realize something here. When you look at the other person, if you lead them into immorality, you are leading one that the Lord has bought and died for. This, this woman sitting next to you or this man sitting next to you is not yours. They don't belong to you. They are Christ's. And so brothers and sisters, how we treat each other, are we showing the value and the worth and the dignity that Christ has put upon that person? Are we recognizing the lengths that he went to to deliver us from sin? How foolish would it be if you went down to the pawn shop today and gave your child Imagine, imagine going down to this pawn shop today and saying, here, take my child because I want, I want to redeem that thing. And then somebody else comes along and they pick up that, that thing that you bought and they say, oh, you know what? I can get good money for that. And they take it right back to the pawn shop and sell it. How is it any different when we lead one another into sin? How is it any different when we don't recognize the price that Christ has paid? So we need to live holy. We also need to redeem the time, which is an interesting turn of phrase. We need to redeem the time. Paul recognizes that we are in this window right now. We're in this very short period. It might seem like a long period, but we're in a short period right now where God is rescuing people from their sins before the judgment has come. And so we're called to make the most of this time. It's as if we're in this space where Jesus has paid the full price and he's opened the doors and he said, anyone who wants to be redeemed, you can be redeemed right now. You can be transferred out of that darkness and into light. And so those who do not do that, or do not make most of that. Are we wasting the grace and the glory of God? 
And finally, we want to bring glory to Jesus. And you say, what are, what are the ways we can bring glory to Jesus? I think, I think one of the ways we do that is to embrace the joy of redemption. And I want to finish this message by turning to Isaiah 35. If you don't mind, Mariah, can you put it back, Isaiah 35? Thank you. Isaiah 35 is this beautiful picture of the joy of the redeemed. And I want you to follow as we walk through this picture. Isaiah is prophesying to people who are being exiled. And he's looking at a time in the future when they'll come back. This is what he says. He says, the desert and the parched land will be glad. I don't know about you, but I don't usually look at a desert and think, gee, that's a happy place. <laughs> I lived in a semi-arid desert for a while. You know, it, it does have a beauty, but it's almost, it's, it's the beauty of, you know, the moon. It's barren, right? No one really typically associates joy with a desert. But the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. So here Isaiah is prophesying and he's saying the land itself, this dry, barren, parched land is going to turn into this beautiful garden. It's going to be teeming with life. The glory of Lebanon, these big, massive cedar trees in Lebanon, these massive trees is going to be given to it. I don't know about you, but I don't look at a desert and think forest. I don't think massive trees. But that's what's going to happen. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, or the splendor of Carmel, this, this majestic mountain that was, that was verdant and green and rich, and it had snow and, and, and water coming off it from time to time. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. And then he says, they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Who are they? He doesn't say yet. It's a poetic device. He doesn't say yet. The picture continues, verse 3 and 4. Now Isaiah turns, he turns to the people and he's telling them to hold on. He says, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. Right? Isaiah's telling them how glorious this is going to be. And then he says, but don't, don't be afraid. Don't give up right now. Why? Why? Verse, five, uh, excuse me, verse 4, the second half. Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Isn't that interesting? Don't be afraid. Your God is coming. He's coming as a redeemer and he's going to save you. But notice he's also coming with vengeance. And remember the blood redeemer, the blood redeemer's right was not, was not only to, to reclaim what was lost, but he had a right to avenge the injustice. And so this picture of Christ coming in Revelation as one who comes with a sword and comes with vengeance, you see, redemption is not simply being delivered from your sins. Redemption is the end of the oppressor. It's vindication and judgment. Then, this is the hope, verse 5, then will the eyes of the blind be opened. <clears throat> then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. You recall John the Baptist when he was in prison 
because he'd commented on Herod's irregular relationship. And he told Herod, he said, this isn't lawful. Herod said, well, we're going to lock you up. And he was on his way to getting his head chopped off. And John had been telling everyone that the Messiah was coming. And he said, Jesus, you know, the Messiah is going to come. And when the Messiah comes, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And he's going to baptize you with fire, this picture of judgment. And Jesus is out there having dinner parties with sinners. You know, people are flocking around. He's getting this massive following. And John the Baptist is there languishing away in prison. And he sends messengers to Jesus. And he says, are you the guy? (laughs) Because the guy I thought was coming was someone who would bring this vengeance. Yes, baptize in the spirit, but also bring this judgment. And Jesus said, he said, let me tell John this. And it's a fulfillment of this. The eyes of the blind are opened. The ears of the deaf are unstopped. The lame are leaping for joy. Isaiah prophesied that the encouragement would be these miracles that they saw. The lame will leap like a deer. The mute tongue will shout for joy. Think of the miracles that Jesus did. Were blind people healed? Yes. Were deaf people able to hear? Yes. Were lame people able to walk? Yes. Were mute people able to shout? Yes. Isaiah tells his people to hang on because this is going to happen. Verse 6, water will gush forth in the wilderness. What was the problem when the people arrived in the wilderness? There was no water. How do you get water out of a desert? Isaiah says, water's going to gush forth and streams are going to flow in the desert. Burning sand will become a pool, thirsty ground, bubbling springs, and the haunts where jackals will lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. You ever see the Lion King? I love the Lion King. And the hyenas. You know, this is great, this is a great depiction, you know, scars land and 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 after Simba and after Mufasa dies and Simba's, you know, been exiled away and Scar and all the hyenas are going around. It's a terrible place, isn't it? I imagine that. Where the hyenas and the jackals, where they once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus are growing, life is returning. So this picture is life returning to the creation. Life is coming back. Verse 8, and a highway will be there. In the middle of this lush desert is a highway. It will be called the way of holiness. Who's on the highway? He doesn't tell us yet. He tells us who's not on there. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about it. They're not on there. There won't be lions or ravenous beasts. They won't be on there. In other words, it's safe. It's for the people who long to know God. And finally, 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 verse 10, we get the answer. And those the Lord has rescued will return. Only the redeemed will walk there. That's who's on this highway. The Lord, those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Sorrow and sighing flee away. This picture of being on a highway, I don't know if you're going away to these school holidays, but you know, you're on a highway and 
And oftentimes you get on the highway and you're, especially, you know, rainy weather, you're kind of going slow, right? And there's always somebody who, who just seems to be that little bit more confident and it goes a little bit faster than you, right? Or they're a little bit frustrated that you're, you're not moving quick enough and they pull out and they, they pass you, right? Imagine being passed by joy and gladness. Just, just joy and gladness, just overtaking, just, just delight, washing, rushing past you and behind you as they enter Zion, as they enter the place where God dwells. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is the joy of redemption. It's the creation responding it's God transforming dry and dreary places into life and growth and, and, and beauty. And there's no folly there. There's no, there's no wickedness there. It is pure. It is clean. It is delight. And so, brothers and sisters, to be the redeemed of the Lord, how do we live as the redeemed? Tap into this joy. Understand where you're traveling. Know your destination. Know that you are preparing to enter Zion. And, and if, if joy and gladness are overtaking you, speed up. Keep up with joy and gladness. Don't hang your head. Don't grow weary. Let's pray. Father, thank you for redeeming us through Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would know his joy, that we would treat each other with the value and dignity that you've showed us on the cross. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.